technically, it's the uh, Podfix Network. Hello and welcome to the 159th version of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them, and how to try to effort up in a very, very humble opinion. I am Giles Alderson, I'm a writer, director and producer, and I'm delighted that we have on this week's episode of the Filmmakers Podcast, Bernard Puka. He is the director of the fantastic fun comedy horror feature film Ravers it is an absolute blast and we go into detail about how he made that how he got his amazing cast of Danny Corain and Natasha Henstridge and all the other amazing cast how he managed to make the infected the zombies but we can't say zombies the infected to look so amazing how he got all the CGI effects how he got all the fire and the great stunts and the fun camera work we also talk about shot listing your film and how he wished he'd worked his way up through filmmaking and by being a runner because freelance work was tough and we all know that and how he raised his decent budget to make this fantastic film Ravers which is out now. That is all to come for you on this week's episode of the Filmmakers Podcast. I am delighted to tell you that The Dare is doing very very well out there in the US and Canada right now so if you are in those territories and you are able to go watch uh, my movie The Dare which I co-wrote with Johnny Grant and I directed then please do it means the world to me if you've already watched it let us know what you think because it's available on so many platforms it's on iTunes on Amazon on PlayStation on Google Play on ah the list goes on Uh, pretty much anywhere that you can go get it search The Dare um, and Richard Brake uh, is this horror legend if you like your horror you know who he is we're getting some lovely reviews. So, uh, like I say, if you haven't watched it yet, please do so. And if you have, go give us a nice review on Amazon or iTunes. It really does make a difference. We fly up the charts. Um, so thank you, thank you, thank you for doing that. And for me doing this self-promotion bullshit that I have to do before every show. But if I don't, why am I doing this? Well, I'm doing it to inspire filmmakers like yourself. Uh, Speaking of which, we're doing the next Make Your Film event. For those of you who had listened to last week's episode, it was live from the Make Your Film event itself. And we're doing another one. Uh, It is uh, next Monday, the 20th, or this Monday, the 20th, and it is with the screenwriters behind A Quiet Place. That is right, Beckham Woods, the screenwriters of A Quiet Place, the creators of A Quiet Place. They also wrote and directed the feature films Haunt, and Nightlife Haunt came out last year, and it is a delight. Do seek it out. Um, all proceeds from the Make Your Film event, because we do have, a ch- have to charge a small amount, will go to film and TV charity. Um, so there you go. So that's what we're doing. All proceeds will go to film and TV charity to help support creatives and filmmakers. Join us next Monday, 6pm uh, British time. So wherever you are in the world, you can join us as well. Other guests are about to be announced. Link to that is in the show notes. Do join us. It's the Make a Film event. It's going to be brilliant. 
and we're going to talk about obviously how life is tough right now and it is it's difficult it can be depressing it can be deeply disappointing right now especially if you had a project that was about to go especially if you as a filmmaker felt that you were on the upward trajectory uh, and it's all come crashing down it can be really depressing i know i feel it too um i can only hope we all come out of this stronger but if you are struggling feel free to reach out to me feel free uh, contact me at Giles Olson or at Filmmakers Pod and I'll happily have a chat with you if you're struggling please don't feel alone if you're on in a small bed sit on your own please do reach out to whoever and whomever but I'm letting you know I'm available for you and I'll answer any questions about how you can get your film made I mean that uh, contact me at Giles Olson or at Filmmakers Pod DM me I will follow you back if you're a filmmaker and let's get in touch and I can help you if I can um, and keep your mind in the right place that's what I think right now because if we think about it too much it can really get us down this whole corona COVID-19 it really can so keep positive keep focused and if you can be grateful for your health and your creativity and make the most of it right now so again, thank you everyone who supported last week's episode of the Make Your Film event join us on April the 20th next Monday Right, if you enjoy this podcast, if you enjoy it in any way, do tell your friends and like, subscribe and all that jazz and um, retweet us. For now, though, here is this week's episode of the Filmmakers Podcast with a fantastic director, Bernard Puka. Enjoy. All right, good. So, yeah, I'm uh, ready when you are. I love that. How are you, buddy? You're all right. I mean, are you surviving generally? I know you've now started to do the video blogs, but are you surviving? Well, I feel like I'm in my movie now. Um, I should be I acting like, like Becky and just like rubbing hands and everything. Uh, it's, it's... Isn't this the perfect time for ravers to come out? Because in a way, because people are looking for these sort of apocalyptic zombie, uh, something happening, contagion type films. And ravers is exactly that. I mean, it's, it's, it's that. I mean... I mean, yeah, I mean, God, I got terribly lucky on this. I mean, if you think about it like this, um, before we'd have to compete with a whole lot of other things, right? Like for the attention of a whole lot of other things. But now people mm. are definitely home. So yep. people are definitely looking for stuff to entertain themselves with. And, you know, here's a movie that deals with a germaphobe who's mm-hmm. basically been right all along, shall we say. Yep. So as a, with this whole thing, she was the one person that had it all figured out. Uh, but then we put her through hell in the process. Plus, you know, you can't go out. So now you get to have uh, a party movie with a rave soundtrack, all that jazz, you know? So yeah. it's, uh, it's, uh, if, if for a good fun watch, it's not a bad shot. I, my personal recommendation, I'm biased, but yeah, have a look. Well, why wouldn't you be? Do you know what I mean? It's a great, <laughs> great film. It is fun. I really enjoyed it. The comedy's great. Thank you. Yeah, the acting was fantastic. VFX, all that sort of stuff was just top notch. It looked great. And I imagine it was a modest budget. Yeah, um, no, the budget was, um, was limiting. You know, I mean, we, yeah. we had more in the script than we can do and, uh, we were hoping to get away with it. But there were several times when um, when it kind of bit us, you know. Um, it's not, uh, yeah. I mean, put it this way: uh, Bloomhouse movies don't have big budgets, but they would have had just enough to make this work, and we were below that, you know. Yeah. So it's one of those things, isn't it, as filmmakers, that we sort of go, "Well, we should be all right." We go, "This is our budget. Yeah, this is what we're setting out to know? do." Yeah, no problem. You get there and you go, "Ah." 
yeah, we can't pull the arm off like we wanted to, or we can't have that much gore there because that's not our floor to put blood on. Whatever it is, all these little tiny things you don't think of when you're writing it or prepping it that come up when you're there on set. And it's, God, they really do floor, you know, us as as uh, creatives yeah. and directors. And, fuck. And no doubt. I mean, it's um, the, the two things that were working against us the most were, um, three things actually were working against mm. us the most when it comes to this. One was time. Uh, there's always, only so much always. time that you have, um, no. and uh, and with the amount of stunts and action set pieces and stuff like that we wanted to do that mm-hmm. were in the script that aren't in the movie um, that we had to work around, we simply had to strip it back. Um, extras was another one. I basically had one day to film all my scenes with uh, with with the big shots for the extras. So basically, no way. Yeah, it was it was one full day where you saw the wide rave, and we basically mm-hmm. just um filmed the necessary angles from each scene um so we can have our jib there and everything and that was the one day where we're at all of them and the rest of the time i was on a third of that you know and i had to cheat my way through it and there were several instances where that wasn't enough um and we had to find a way to like the, the 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 one thing you will notice with any movie is that the wider the camera angles are the bigger the budget is that's so true. I never thought of it that way. That's it's it's so completely true, yeah. true. It's like uh, wide angles cost money. You know, mm. um, if you want to show shit in a wide angle, pardon my French if I'm not allowed to curse here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but if you want to show it in a wide angle, that's going to cost money. So the narrower your the the lower your budget is, the tinier your 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 lens gets, or the the longer your lens gets per se. Um, <laughs> but and and so yeah, I noticed that a lot. Like um, I have in the middle of the movie, I have a gantry sequence, you know, um, where the whole thing sort of collapses um, on uh, collapses down. Um, that gantry was in the script over twice the length than it ended up being um right. then then the uh then the gantry was supposed to collapse about 45 degrees downwards and it collapsed wow. about five degrees downwards because that's all we could do <laughs> so i had to cheat my way around that cheat, cheat it. yeah yep. it's and and then and then we were supposed to have the one thing that was planned from the get-go but ended up mm. we just couldn't pull it off was at least one wide angle of the thing collapsing um and um and we it was too big of a thing to pull off practically because the stage we were in we could not safely mount the stunties at the top so even right. have like a a breakaway um because obviously you can't actually collapse a metal one that's that's horrendously dangerous so you have to basically collapse a um a a styrofoam one or, or something balsa wood something light that if it falls down it's not gonna it send shock waves through the whole stage right um so we but in order to do that we need to safely rig the stunt performers that were standing on it like under the apostrophe standing on it um could fall down and then we could get a wide shot of that happening except we couldn't rig them up there so we're like okay so we can't do that um Mm -hmm. i need at least an impact so okay so get me like the second half of the fall i just want to see the bottom part of the fall land. So I don't have need the full swing. I don't need to see the people at the top. I just need to see the impact on the floor. And then I couldn't have that. Um, and, and, and it was just oh. one thing after the other that we just couldn't do, um, for various restrictions. Um, so yeah, the ambitions were grand. Um, and unfortunately, time and budget were not. Um, and, uh, and we basically had to focus 
on what was essential. Um, and what was essential is you can they, you can see a clear moment when we started having money again, which is uh, which is when is is when the, is when the uh, is when the, the the throat gets slit. I don't want to give any uh, uh, spoilers. No, we here. don't know who it is. We're not saying exactly. Who it is, but, but when the throat gets slit after that, you start seeing effects and all sorts of stuff again. You know what I mean? Yeah. And everything before that was us trying to have as little of that as possible, so we can get to that part of the movie. Because that from that onwards, we've got um, full body prosthetics, we've got a full body burn, we've got yep. um, a whole bunch of fights, we've got uh, body explosions. You know, so we've got we've got everything is in that finale. We've got uh, effects on hands, hallucinations, like everything is in that finale, and we couldn't compromise on that. So we had to base basically reallocate whatever resources we had to ensure this finale sat and that unfortunately meant that things like the gantry sequence which is easily the most expensive sequence in the movie mm-hmm. um because of the amount of extras and stunts and this and this rig and blah blah is the most expensive in the movie the resources got drained from that you know um in order to accommodate our finale because actually you know who said it best kevin feige said it best um he yeah. said stick the landing you know what i mean Yes. Whatever you do, stick the whenever you've done with it, that needs to work. That's so true because that's what people go away from the movie remembering. You can forget bits in the middle. If you had an amazing stunt in the middle, you'd you'd go, "Well, that was cool halfway through," but to the end, you'd forget about that if the end was terrible or a terrible stunt. Or Absolutely, and you can, and you don't want to blow your load in the middle of the movie either by having no. your best bit in the middle and then the ending bit is not anywhere near as good as your best bit in the middle. You know, I, I think what we have to do as sort of these creative people is constantly compromise our, our vision. This is what we do every day is work out the best way that I'm going to compromise this, making it look good and surviving and making the film actually stand up. Because as independent filmmakers, that is what we have to do. Yeah. And, and the problem is the problem is not really the fact that there's uh, not enough money. There's never enough money. Yeah. No, it's very true. Um, the problem is how far your ambitions exceed your abilities to do it, you know, and that uh, those abilities to do it include, you know, financial resources and uh, they also include your own uh, experience, you know, and how much you know and how much you've learned and stuff like that. Mm. Um, it also includes the people you're working with, how experienced are they and how much can they bring to the table? How much time do you have with them, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, uh, and that was one thing that, uh, that always sort of works against you. And the best directors are the ones that can, um, mold those things together despite the fact that they don't seem to fit, you know? Yeah. And then by the end of it, you sit there and go, actually, that looks perfectly intentional. And we directors sit there going, no, it's not. We, <laughs> we, I don't know why, why you think this was intentional. I couldn't mm. point the camera this way. I couldn't point the camera that way. This is all it could do. And if you think that's intentional, sure, it's in the movie because totally. <laughs> I had to put yep. it in there. We'll take and, it. But that's what it is. And sometimes those are your best bits. Obviously, I want to talk more about Ravers. Yes. But- I think it's really interesting to jump back and how you got to Ravers because Ravers was shot really, really well. It looks beautiful. It's a very accomplished feature film. And um, I'm very pleased to have you on the podcast talking about it. So, but our listeners love, as I do, is how we actually got there. How did we start? How did we manage to survive and thrive to get to the point where we can actually make a feature film like that so and i know you've made a feature film before this uh, betsy and leonard yeah but let's jump back even further because you're a dj producer mm-hmm. a dj yourself how yeah. did you 
How did you weave your way? What's your journey to becoming a filmmaker? I went to Dallas, where I went to the Art Institute, um, and I learned uh, multimedia design, which at the time I was designing interfaces for CD-ROMs, man. Like, wow. that, yeah, I'm telling you, this this was in, in st- D- DVD and CD-ROM interfaces, uh, along with websites <laughs> at resolutions wow. of 640 by 480 screen size. I'm telling you. This was Jeez. this was pioneering stuff. Um, Indeed, <laughs> um, <laughs> your life was complete at that point. Oh, I, I'm, I'm telling you. Uh, but then in 1999, um, yes. several things happened. Uh, one, a slew of absolutely brilliant movies came out. I mean, one after the other. It was, uh, mm-hmm. and five of them I have tattooed on my arm. Uh, Are and, you joking? Yeah, that's I'm, incredible. I'm, right, I, I want to know which ones. Um, on. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me see if I can make this easily visible. Well, it's good so, for the podcast. So, so, <laughs> okay, so there you go. Can you can't, you, okay, you, uh, this is Eyes Wide Shut. So there's the. Oh my gosh, it's one of my favorite films. Eyes exactly. Wide Shut. Eyes Wide Shut. That. So that's Eyes that's Wide Shut. That's an amazing right there. tattoo. So that's it's hard to describe. Can you describe it? It's the uh, it's the gu- it's the guys with the hats in the in the ceremony at the end, like the ceremony, the the the, the sex party. Um, yes. And it's you know, and when Tom Cruise basically gets uh, gets exposed for the first time, and it's these two people that turn their hats downwards from the balcony, you know, uh, looking yes. straight at Tom Cruise. That creepy ass shot is those two. Um, so amazing. I got that one. Then, yep. uh, I don't know if you can see this one here. That is the Blair Witch Project. Oh, my gosh. That's an incredible tattoo. It's basically a woman with it back to, if you've not seen Blair Witch, it's the yeah. end of the movie. Um, the stood ending, in the yeah. corner. Woman then, stood there. Yeah, and then I've got um, the Matrix here. That's the uh, that's the, oh, uh, the yeah. hand grabbing the red pill. That's, Wow. And then oh, the really thing that's cool. going to be harder to show is uh, is that's see the red rose that's uh, American yes. Beauty. Love it. And then I've got back here. I've got. Let's see if you can recognize oh. this. Alex and Bob. Oh, so wait. No, bo- no. It says it's a name tag that says Bob, and it's. Um, oh, so then it's Fight Club. Fight Club, exactly. Whoa! <laughs> and so, so and. And those right. are, and those, they all came out in '99. They that's came incredible. out in in succession of each other, very close. And that's just the five that had the most impact on me. I mean, that year we're talking, being John Malkovich, Toy Story two, um, uh, Sixth Sense. I mean, the list of films from that year is staggering, you know. And so an I was, of year. course, yes. as, as a 19 year old, I was smack dab in the middle of it, in uh, in love with everything that came out in cinema. And then the film that changed everything was the Blair Witch Project. Because mm-hmm. com- of all the movies that I saw, Blair Witch was achievable. Like it was a film I could actually do, yes. you know. And there you go, and it, it inspired a lot of filmmakers. It, it's completely did. true because the idea was brilliant, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Afterwards, when I looked up that this was basically some that these guys did for ten for ten grand or whatever it was, or if, if even less. Um, yeah. And this is of course nineteen ninety nine, ten thousand dollars, but still it was nothing, you still, know. Yeah. And. Yeah. And suddenly, so all these amazing movies came out that were all genuinely brilliant, plus this one that was actually something that I could do. And of course, there was a slight envy in me that went, "Why didn't I have this idea? This is a brilliant I idea." Think a you lot know? of people yeah. did that too. Yeah, seriously, yeah. Like, I, 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 sh- I should have had that idea. And then the thing that put the dot on the eye of everything is that in 
um, my graphics design school, I took a video production class um, where we had to sort of, by the end of it, shoot a, shoot and edit a short film, you know. And, right, and you were like, and, right, and this so it. it was that was it. That was I was like, no, I'm I'm going to film school. I finished the, that year was my last year of graphics design school. I went to the University of North Texas to do radio, television, film production, um, and as my undergrad there, um, and that was that was it. It's been film ever since. I've never looked back. I love it. And you went to London Film School, right? Yeah. After yeah. I finished my undergrad um, in in Texas, uh, I didn't really want to stick around in the US anymore. Um, How the, come? What did you feel that London was the better place in terms of your creativity uh, i had political reasons why i didn't want to be in the u.s anymore specifically okay. texas um the two years were were really exciting and i i learned a lot while i was there and so it's a it's a very definitely a very sort of key moment um to have gone there um simply because um several people that i still work with i met at the film school which is really nice and you, you actually made your first feature as far as i can see the about six years after that so during that time were you making shorts um you know to develop your craft or were you always trying to make a feature during that time i mean i graduated from the london film school at the end of 07 um and i'd already set up a shop as a freelancer immediately after that um mm -hmm. which is a big mistake i don't recommend it to anybody okay tell us more why is that it was hard to get off the ground with no connections whatsoever um yeah. i basically like the first the first year or two was junk work it wasn't even i wouldn't can't even say i did corporates like i did anything you know no, I, I, I was anything yeah i, parties, I, I was yeah, I, sure. no, I, I wasn't even filming dude like there were there were there oh, were right. things i i was uh i was a sound engineering at music festivals and and tattoo conventions and all sorts of stuff just working wow. the mixing desk seriously i did i did a i did a pfizer event in a in a um in a hotel once you know like a corporate right. But operating the mixing desk with like two microphone channels, it was the most dull, boring, best paying gig I've ever done. You know, uh, <laughs> we all, we've all had it's pharma yeah. money, man, pharma money. Um, yeah, I see. I and uh, and so yeah, it was uh, the first two years were were very hard. And in hindsight, I wished I'd um, I'd become a runner somewhere and just. Um, uh, work my way up, make some make some more connections, that kind of thing. And it wasn't until uh, I got a couple of I landed a couple of big corporate clients that um, I had something fairly solid in place. And then by 2010, uh, I started teaming up with um, um, with two friends who I'm still working with, um, and that's allowed the bread and butter side to kind of sit sit in there. But one of the friends that I teamed up with, I told him, said, dude. I want you to work with me. Um, and he had worked for another feature film pro for production company before. And um, that is a whole separate story. I'll let him tell you. Right, okay. Uh, and so he uh, wanted to get as far away from feature films as possible. And so because he knew I was doing well um, with my stuff, he asked, hey, look, can it work for you? I'm looking for some bread and butter. I'm like, yeah, but I want to make feature films. <laughs> so And you don't want uh, so, to so, so if you want to work with me, you have to help me make my first feature. And he said fine yeah fine okay i'll you give me bread and butter i'll give you a feature how about that fine and I'm like, fine yeah you're uh, like that's, yep, yep. that's great so uh so yep. he, here i had a guy who had financially structured feature films um of 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 larger size than anything that um uh, that that uh, i was planning on doing initially um and and suddenly you know it felt far more realistic that i could actually pull this off because every short film that i was doing before 
I, I basically, in my head, in my very, very delusional head at this point, I graduated film school, said, I'm going to make one more short film, and then I'm going to make my feature film. Yeah. And that's it, yeah. you know, because my short film is going to be so brilliant that people I just going to buy into it. That's what I thought getting out of London Film School. And by the way, that was stupid back then, and it's stupid now. Anybody who thinks that... Mm-hmm. needs to stop thinking that immediately there's totally no agree. there's no yeah. single project that's suddenly gonna do it you know absolutely it, not no absolutely there was a there was a when we were trying to make a film we were producing a while ago that we had written we ended up meeting a, an oscar-winning short film maker and we liked him and but in the end the execs and so said no he's not made a feature not a chance so even an oscar-winning short filmmaker didn't stand a chance in the room with the execs they just went no why would we let's get someone who's made a film yeah so my, and these people who, who do oh i'm gonna raise 20 30 grand to make another short i go why don't you can do make that. a feature for that man don't, yeah exactly you can I sell completely. that around the world completely you've made agree. a feature yeah no i completely agree with you i was like it's, yeah. uh, i mean i'm not sure what kind of feature you can make at 20 grand but you can make one and you can yeah, say look it's it. 90 minutes and it's there so the likelihood of upgrading to uh, a bigger feature after that is much higher i mean without bets in leonard which was eighty thousand pounds in terms of production budget um mm-hmm. without that i would have never been able to do ravers like that, n- nobody would have ever l- looked at me and given me um uh, uh two million to basically do ravers and that's it you know um there you go that says it on betsy and leonard was your first feature uh, as a director let's talk about that for a minute because i think it's very important for our listeners you know not to brush over this to actually how did that feel what did you go through to raise the 80k and to actually you know make it how did that feel as a director to go i am making a feature film um it bizarrely enough um the thing i I learned the most from that. Um, okay, let me let me start off how the whole thing sort of got started. It's basically yeah, Luke Foster is is uh, is a guy I did a short film with at the London Film School. So mm-hmm. I knew him from then, um, and he went to the he was in the very first year that the London Film School had a writing program. Um, so um, I approached him um, in the writing program, saying, "Hey, look, do you want to write a a short film for my production class?" Um, I'm not, I didn't consider myself a writer at all, uh, even though I've written. I'm, I I don't I still yeah I still that's what they want writing. to do that's exactly. their job so yeah, get I'll, on I'll, yeah I'll, I'll let somebody do it who's really good at it you know yes. and yes. and so uh and so I thought I'm gonna approach him do you have anything I'd love to make it we ended up working together on it and it was that was really good it was a very enjoyable collaboration that I had with Luke and I still work with Luke now um and um and then after we graduated I I basically saw an article uh, I saw a news article about um, this guy who was sentenced to uh, several months house arrest um, and ended up putting down his girlfriend's parents' address. And they basically just dumped them there without checking whether they could or not. And they and they had to keep him there because the process of getting rid of him would have taken longer than the sentence. So, <laughs> so he was under house arrest at his ex girlfriend at his girlfriend's place, wow. um, at his girlfriend's parents' place, and oh. they and they couldn't get rid of him. And I thought that is the perfect premise to a story it's great and plus it's one location mainly you know i know it's like all the all all the bells all the boxes were being ticked like the moment i read this so i thought okay you know um let's do this so i approached luke said hey look i have this premise Mm -hmm. 
what can we do with it you know and so we we basically came up with this idea of having this guy who um has to serve six months house arrest in his ex-girlfriend's apartment you know um so he used to live there that's the address he is registered with right now he's bunking with his mates um mm-hmm. so he's not registered there <laughs> And so he gets he gets done in for for trying to sell some weed again, and mm-hmm. uh, ends up being put under house arrest. Um, and the address he's registered with is his ex girlfriend's, and he doesn't say that he that's wrong. So so he basically gets installed there. And in order for and then of course she suddenly finds her ex boyfriend permanently installed in her flat and he oh ba- he basically can't leave he's under quarantine exactly this is another movie guys you can watch absolutely you know great great and, concept exactly great. and and so it's this uh, little romantic comedy um yeah. uh that that we kind of wrote out of it so from there you've got this great concept luke's written a really cool script how do you go right let's go raise the money what did you do uh well uh, basically we just borrowed money from everybody we could i mean really there, friends family yeah family. I, I mean my, my mom basically was the first one to put money up for it wow. you know um so okay. she was like i was like so how much do you need uh we need we need hundred we need a hundred grand she's like uh no. yeah i'm not giving you a hundred grand um, <laughs> but uh i i can give you so and so i'm not gonna say how much it was no, yeah, mom, sure, but sure. um i can give you so and so much you can find the rest yourself um i'll start you off with that and wow. we're like okay so fine, you had great great because now you've got some money in the pot we got we got something but it's something. not like we went to lenders or anything else mm. like that we were looking okay. for 80 grand nobody finances 80 grand movies either and certainly not in in, not in 2011 no. maybe you know but we i didn't have connections for this and mm-hmm. uh basically we just called people up and said hey look i'm making a movie uh it was a glorious investment opportunity to be part of film do you want to be in the movie you know blah 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 you know so yeah we begged borrowed and stole whatever we could um and the crazy thing is is that um the with the with those 80 grand we built a set um where you we built a set we built a set we filmed, holy shit I yeah thought you I, shot in a real house okay no 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 we we built a set um, well there's we, your money we um <laughs> yeah we, we we basically in edmonton uh uh we found this um uh, this area. warehouse, uh, this old furniture warehouse that was basically mm-hmm. empty. And so we rented that for cheapest chips. Um, okay. And uh, Gareth uh, Gareth Thomas, my production designer, um, I met him on a short film where he had, for the budget of like 500 quid, had built, uh, had production designed the entire short film. And that included a boxing ring inside the old Alexandra Palace Theater. You know, wow. so yeah, no, it, it, what he was able to pull out of no money was just incredible. Mm-hmm. Like he really knew how to place things and spend the right money in the right places just so you can get that this is where it, this is real. You know, this is the yeah. thing, you know. That's, and that's Gareth, Gareth Thomas, everyone. Let's see. Gareth, Gareth is brilliant. You should absolutely work with him. And he is one of the nicest guys you'll ever work with. Um, I so, love it already. So, so, uh, absolutely, uh, Gareth Thomas. Um, he basically was able to build uh, a really, really wicked set um, uh, to that allowed us to do all the things that were written in the script. Um, and, mm-hmm. It and because he's he also really understood, and this is a one thing that a lot of people that aren't 
um, part of this um, forgets that a key element of production design is knowing which directions the cameras look and breaking up spaces and breaking up flat things and blah, blah. So no matter which direction you point the camera, you've always got something interesting to look at. You're never going to yeah. face a dull angle, you know? Exactly. And that's really sort of the key element to production design is how do you have a singular flat and turn the camera one way and turn the camera the other way and suddenly you can create a whole different feel a whole different look just by being able to do that and mm -hmm. simply allowing for places for depth and these kinds of things and while still feeling plausible you know and yeah. that's really that's really sort of the trick behind the whole thing and he was really really clever with what with the limitations that we had um to pull this off with the budget we had and he went he came in under budget <laughs> you know what a legend, like, I, I, what I, a it's legend. In, absolutely incredible so that's what <laughs> i'm saying hire gareth for your production design because he's amazing there you go um but for you as a director had you had you prepped everything all your shots did you know the angles did you work rehearsals uh did you storyboard and you know that feeling of being a feature film director which i know is is incredible moment when you actually go turnover and action on your first day it really is joyous and um, will you run us through sort of that whole process for you do you storyboard did you did you you know really prep um, I went way overboard on my prep on my first movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, we all like, do, right? Like we when, all... <laughs> I, I, I basically, the way I like to do it, I, I'm not a huge fan of storyboarding. Um, uh, I, I generally like finding my angles with my actors, you know? Mm -hmm. So once, uh, uh, once the, I see how the actors move, I basically move my camera around them. Um, and, uh, and it's only key moments where I know I need a shot that does this and I need a shot that does that. But I generally motivate my camera movement around the actors. Um, yep. and which means for me, blocking charts are far more useful. Uh, and, uh, and simply getting a sense of the space in there and, designing out where who who and what moves where you know um mm -hmm. and that helped me a lot and i did every scene on bets and leonard especially on bets and leonard because it was all one location so i needed to make sure that i'm not repetitive i'm not constantly the same shot reverse shot is yeah. it's very easy with a dialogue heavy to fall into the same shot reverse shot situation so really is, um, yeah. i had to i had to be very aware of not making sure that i never if i'm gonna have a shot reverse shot scene that i have at least two scenes in between that definitely don't repeat that um mm -hmm. and and that um if i do shot reverse shot um I choose my direct over the shoulder for this moment, but then I do a bit more so sideways for that moment. And, and uh, I stick it to a two shot for that moment. And, you know, you, you basically just have to make sure you vary it enough to where, to where your film language uh, makes sense with the arc that you're trying to tell, but also mm -hmm. you don't bore the viewer with the same stuff that they've just seen a few minutes earlier, despite the fact that the new scene itself might be new they get they're watching the same thing and it starts getting visually dulling, you know? Yes. So you need to keep it uh, visually exciting simply by varying it up. I totally agree with that. I had to do with The Dare, my film that just came out in the mm. US and Canada. It, uh, half the movie's set in a basement, yeah. so which is four corners, which we built in the studio, and it's, it's four corners of a wall, you know? And you kind of go, well, how do we make this exciting? So every single scene that we saw them, I changed the camera every single time, whether it was lower, mid, higher, different lens, going through the window, my DP, Andrew Roger, just, we just kept playing with that so that 
every single time we saw them was a new camera set up a new thing so that they saw something new for their eyes otherwise it's it's the same shit over and over and over again it's completely where, true whereas where a lot of filmmakers fall down is they do that they think well i can we can shoot this in a day you know just uh, single single wide and again next scene single single wide whoa so you've really got to think, right? And it sounds like you did that brilliantly on Betsy and Leonard. Um, no, I was mean, it, was it was it fun to shoot? Um, Bet- I mean, it was great. I mean, I've I've never in my life had a had a terrible shoot. You know, um, like mm-hmm. not not once has a shoot of mine gone sour. Um, mainly because um, I if I feel like it's gonna go sour, I know this way earlier. You know, so I don't just plow in. With the thinking, no, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Denial in this case is uh, is is the devil, you know. So yeah, really is, yeah. you really need to be aware of if you're going to walk into what could be a potential shit show, um, to not walk into it, you know. Um, yeah. And then also, if you know something's going to be difficult, is to is to mitigate those problems as uh, as much as possible. Um, and that applies to a corporate shoot as much as it does uh, to a feature film. That basically is no different. Um, um, and a lot of that depends on also the crew that you work with um, so much. And this is the probably the biggest lesson I took away from Betts and Leonard. So much is not up to me on the mm-hmm. film. Mm-hmm. Like, like I am basically like this one little focal point. Um, and there's it's so many other things going on around me that I have no idea about. Um, and so everybody's doing all this crazy work just to make my little thingamajig happy, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, <laughs> and, uh, and so the, the big thing for me is just, I, it really, despite the fact that my job is important, it's actually a very small job, uh, compared to all the other jobs that need to be done and how much, um, the, the how much different the pace is for that group of people over here compared to the pace of what mine is because for example if we take a normal shoot day you're, i'm sure you're fully aware of this um yeah. you show up and that's basically when the day starts is when you show up and that's when you when you basically move and maybe you'll have some discussions before then blah blah but mm-hmm. everybody's basically waiting for you to do your thing you know sure. and then of yeah. course the day ends the moment you stop doing your thing except mm-hmm. Everybody else has already been there yeah. and everybody else will still be there after you leave. Yes. You know, 100%. and, and, yeah. and, and that is the case for the entirety of the shoot. Now, granted, most of the people that are on that shoot are not there before it or afterwards. So therefore your job, you, you've been part of this thing for years beforehand, just trying to get this thing off the ground and you'll be part of it for months and months after that, just to finish the, just to finish the thing. So to be directing is, is a marathon running. You know, yeah. uh, um, and so you have to pace yourself during the shooting to make sure you don't burn out for the finishing part here. You know, mm-hmm. but that's that's the thing that um, that I realized the first time with this shoot is that my job is not actually focused on this one bit that I'm doing on set, even though the set part's the most exciting part because you you have the cameras and the actors and everything yeah, is the most exciting. Yeah. It's brilliant. But it's actually really small, really dense, and very short. And everything else that you're doing is actually um, – everything else you're doing before that is just there to make sure you don't lose your way during this high-intensity high dense bit. And then afterwards, it's fixing all the stuff you did wrong. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, during this high intensity dance bit, you know, yeah. where um, is is making sure that all the stuff that goes right goes right anyway. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you, I sure you could screw it up, but if, if you're reasonably competent, the stuff that goes right will work just fine. It's the stuff that didn't go right that you have to find a way to work around, um, and that you have to then sort of mold together like this piece of clay in order to make it look like something you know because you you could just mold it completely differently and suddenly it looks and feels awful and that's basically everything after that and that constant consistency throughout is really what the key to it is um and that's the thing that i didn't quite recognize until i did betsy and leonard is the longevity of what my job is because it does feel like oh shooting is where the job is shooting's the shortest part <laughs> you know is, i know shooting's the shortest part of making a film and it it's, really the, is. it's the shortest part and it's the most fun part for us and we get to do it so rarely so know? little it's incredible with directors and you go how much time you've been on set this year um even if you've just done two films do you know what i mean yeah yeah it's not it. it's not long three yeah, weeks really. maybe maybe at the most two months you know what i mean it's like what i envy dps I know, me exactly too, reason. yeah, and actors in some way, but more yeah. DPs, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I envy DPs for exactly that reason, is that, yeah. I mean, granted, you don't necessarily have sort of the same sort of uh, control that you do as a director, per se, but mm-hmm. at least you're on set. Yeah, <laughs> and we know? love being on set. Uh, yeah, and yeah, being on set it. is sort of where sort of the, the, the real fun is for, at least for me, it definitely is. Um, yeah. I know a lot of, I know quite a few directors who say, yeah, being on set's great and all, but editing is really where it is for them. Um, yeah, but because because that's where the that's where the real storytelling is. I mean, uh, true, the, yes. the the set yeah. is not the storytelling yet. The set is the Getting it done. Uh, yeah <laughs> assembling the puzzle pieces. Yeah, you know I mean, you, you've not you've not actually told any story yet. You know, yeah, you're yeah. only just like putting building blocks together, and then later on you get to build the house. And there are people that you know prefer the actual building part you know t- mm. to the assembly part you know yeah. so and i get that i totally um uh, empathize with that um having come from post production primarily um for a long yeah. time with your cd roms yeah with, yeah exactly with yeah. the cd roms they keep coming back to me i'm telling you um, oh no, they do they do. do you know what that was such a brilliant way of describing it i really appreciate that and i'm, so, I'm sure our listeners did too that was really really interesting thank you so betsy and leonard right you you shot it you, you I did the whole post how did you sell it because this is just you guys making it you know this is very indie this is yeah how did you get it out there in the world unfortunately it's not really out there in the world um wow. the selling uh unfortunately for this film went a bit sour and uh, i am looking at now that ravers is out the door to basically try and get bets in line back onto platforms what happened tell us yeah now we what, had what, we had what? bad luck with our distributors um we had uh we were with three different distributors um and all of them basically pulled out right before and this is before netflix or any of those platforms were around so basically we had to get dvds made and all this stuff and that required financial investments and that just wasn't possible for and not not wasn't possible but we um got really unlucky with three distributors in a row that basically dropped the film um like after having accepted it they basically bailed out again and then we were working on trying to get the next thing going and then the film had tiny bit of presence it had a solid festival run it had a tiny bit of presence and then went away and we hadn't really focused because we were focusing on getting our next projects made we hadn't really focused on getting more of it done you know Uh, and so therefore it's 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 whatever modest amount of money it made it didn't make enough to break even you know and so and so we're looking now at uh, uh, because we were focusing on 
Just keeping the business yeah. running and stuff like that mm. the and trying to get raiders off the ground we simply said okay let's focus on this another time and we're i'm basically um trying to push to get i'm gonna recut it a little bit um there's yeah. uh the film did have flaws and so therefore there are a few things we can fix fairly easily now that would significantly improve the movie so what are you going to do you're going to put it on platforms you're going to film hub places yeah, like that yeah exactly so uh, okay. basically find an aggregator get it onto platforms uh mm-hmm. and have people have people watch it um either yeah. uh, either for rent or somewhere i mean the film came out uh, the, the film is now nine years old uh, so yeah. it's it's old but Hey, you know, uh, content Doesn't is always matter. welcome. No, 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 that's it. It's content, isn't it? People exactly. So, 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 hopefully, uh, hopefully, we can get that thing out there. Um, well, especially after the, you know the success of Ravers, and it will be successful in some way or another, um, because it is a brilliant film. It's going to uh, have longevity. People enjoy it. They're going to. Um, uh, you know, you've got a great cast with Danny Corain, who I know well. I'm in the same fantasy football league oh, as him. Uh, awesome. He's great. Yeah, and uh, I love Danny, Danny Man. Henstridge. Yeah, Danny's ace, isn't he? He's really yeah, cool. yeah, it's a great, really, really one, cool. one of the, and one of the easily one of the most professional actors I've ever worked with. Oh, he'll be pleased to hear that. That's that great. And um, why don't you give people a rundown of the film, and I'll play the trailer. Tell um, people what it's about. In short, Ravers is a horror comedy about a germaphobic journalist uh, called Becky, and uh, she decides to go. On uh, to an illegal rave after um, her cousin Ozzy invites her along, and she meets a girl that she likes and is compelled to go. But very shortly after the rave goes to hell, when the ravers drink a contaminated energy drink, and uh, they get trapped inside, and she has to overcome her germophobia in order to get everyone out alive. Yes, have some kick to it. Drink. Cheers. You found some. This stuff's awesome. This is the stuff they used to make here. I want all y'all to have some. Woo! Oh, oh. What the hell's going on? They're not zombies, are they? They're not like. Uh, more like mutant ravers. Whatever people are on, maybe that made it worse. Well, God knows what this guy's on. We better go. It's crazy in there. And there he goes. You can hear by that trailer. It is hilarious, fun, full of... uh, raving music um i'll call it that i used to dj <laughs> so it's difficult to put it's a techno trance uh heavy house hard house it's all that sort of stuff and yeah it's really really great it's really fun so let's talk about how you managed to you know concept is great i can imagine you'd found the concept easy coming from the dj background and go well look it's a follow-on but how did you raise the money you mentioned two million there and that's 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 a substantial amount yeah, no, well, basically that um, that was uh, done via um, via EIS funding and loans. Uh, so we basically set up wow. this uh, this company called um, Alive in the Morning, um, yep. which is uh, a, a a funding platform that we've basically set up, um, where investors 
uh, put it, uh, can put in their money and uh, either get um, EAS guarantees mm-hmm. um, or th- they can have a straight cash investment into the film. And we've had sort of a combination of that, you know, so it was uh, along with uh, tax credits, et cetera, et cetera, you know, so all that jazz. Um, mm-hmm. And so de facto cash was uh, was much less than two mil, of course. Um, so because there's soft monies involved and this and that, you know, of course, uh, yeah. but that's effectively what we're looking at. Um, and no, it's not a small amount of money. And uh but it wasn't enough. <laughs> Still never uh, enough. Yeah. It was never enough. Um, but it's not a small amount of money, but we built a massive set um, in, in Cardiff, uh, which is where we filmed it. Um, mm. I, I really wanted to film in, uh, in, in the US. Like I wanted to actually film there. Um, because it's set in the US, as in yeah. everyone's got American accents. Was, was there a reason for that? Well, uh, when Luke and I were first developing the story, it was set in the UK. Um, but the thing is that I don't really know the UK rave scene at all. Uh, I've, I was a raver in Austria. I was a raver in, in, in the US and I was, was never a raver here. I moved here at, um, at 25 and I became a father at 26, you know, so my raving days, even, yeah. even, th- even though I was DJing, most of my DJing and raving I'd done was outside of the UK. And, yeah. and so, um, I honestly struggled to like, contribute anything authentic to it um and uh and then but then the other thing was that we thought well the uk raves if we make another uk movie we're gonna fall into foreign film territory um Mm -hmm. just just by virtue of that you know and the way i see it is um we wanted to film in the US and we wanted to cast in the US and stuff like that. So, because it, it's set in, in the Midwest in the US and that's where we wanted to film. Uh, but, uh, that, that quickly became not possible, um, with the amount of money we had. Um, and so we thought, okay, well, what can we do? You know, yeah. um, I still want to set it in the US. Um, and, uh, I would feel more comfortable telling an, an, an American story, um, having lived in America. And I mean, you hear, you can hear me now. I mean, yeah. I, I, I don't have an Arnold voice or anything considering I'm Austrian. Um, <laughs> everyone uh, talks like that. I can yeah. talk like Arnold yeah. now if you want. Yes. I will kill Brilliant. you. I'll kill you all. Get um, down, get down. <laughs> get, get to the chopper now. Uh, <laughs> I um, think yours is better than mine. Um, but, uh, yeah, my mom's actually from that region. So, uh, so I, I can, I can get the, the accent, um, quite okay. Um, but the, anyways, the, uh, I, I simply felt more comfortable with it. And then, okay. uh, on, on a, when, when the idea was broached, should we set it in the UK? Should we set it in the US? The, financial argument was america american market's a bigger market that's appeal to them i understand i did the same with the dare as well we obviously wrote it originally english and i i wanted to make it american i felt it appealed more you know making a horror movie that way i just felt it just made sense to me i I prefer the american sound in horror movies than english people running around i just do and Mm -hmm. yeah i I did the same as you i said it's a bigger market my execs are very happy to do that too and suddenly now you've got a movie with english people all speaking american accents and it's you know why not it, Why it not? Works. And, and the majority better. and the majority of people won't care. Yeah, I mean, no, there, there will be they the don't. there will be the reviewers that'll be uh, they'll be like, yeah, I don't get why this isn't set in the UK. It's, it's everybody's British, you know. Why isn't mm. it set in the UK? And if they filmed it in Cardiff, it should be very unconvincing.
convincingly set in America. I'm like, it doesn't matter. You know, no, is, the sto- matter. Is, is, is the story good? Do you like the characters? Do you exactly. enjoy the movie? And also, my movie doesn't take itself particularly seriously either. So if you take it to that level seriously, mm-hmm. you, you kind of miss the point there, man. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, it's supposed to be fun, you know, it's, yeah. and this more so than, than, than many other movies. It's just supposed to be good fun, you know? Yeah, and it is, and it is. It's really good fun. It's one of these that gets under your skin. You like the characters. There's a certain point where you think a character might die, and it's just great that they might not not spoiling anything you know what i mean and, and that's really good and it, it doesn't matter where it's set or the accents it's it's no, about it's, the story and you go along that journey yeah the the audience the general audience doesn't care no no they don't so if you've got your money you've you've now you can cast the movie from i mean you're shot in cardiff i shot uh my king arthur movie arthur and merlin in cardiff right. just what, about four months ago oh, nice. um, so the whole experience for you was was it what did you learn from your first film that you brought here to ravers what did you change in terms of you as a director because it's now it's what six years later maybe ish that you filmed yeah. this uh well betsy and leonard and ravers are two completely different beasts i mean mm-hmm. this the, the 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 it hit me on the first day of pre-production how different of an animal ravers is going to be is when i sat down in pinewood studios which was completely empty at that point um mm-hmm. and this is pinewood uh wales uh pinewood cardiff mm-hmm. um and i'm sitting in the production offices and i've got my little office um and i'm looking out at this massively long empty room which is going to be filled with people working on my movie oh, and, right na- and right now it's empty <laughs> Um, right. And this was in in January, and right now it's empty. And in in with Betsy and Leonard, we were in my basement office where we could fit three people, and we were ten <laughs> um, in the middle of the warmest yeah, April that ever existed in 2011. It was a whole, a whole month of summer. Actually, um, uh, if you do get to see Betsy and Leonard, it is the sunniest portrayal of London ever. Um, we had no single drop of rain. We didn't have a single cloud, um, for the entire three week shoot. And so, yeah, it looks like it's a a, a town by the sea. You know, it's, it's, Mm. it's it's sunny and gorgeous, prettiest London ever. Anyways. So, yeah. So we skipped to Cardiff the, the, where it's raining all the time. Oh yeah, right? I was, it, My, constantly. Um, every day on King Arthur was raining. Was absolutely. I, I was no no different with us. Uh we had oh but we had the snow. Oh, we had, we, had, we we were in the middle. Remember that massive snow that debilitated the country uh, two yes. years ago? Yes. That we were st- our production got shut down because of that snow. Oh, you know? yeah, yeah. We lost uh, uh, we we lost uh, uh, one and a half shooting days from it and had to make up for it later. Um, oh. And without extending the schedule because we couldn't do that. So so we it, we yeah. went from a we went from a five day week to uh, to two fortnights. Um, uh, uh, so not fortnights. Uh, was it uh, two six day weeks? Two. Um, yeah, just, just to make up for it, and day, and yeah. uh, and the a six day shoot, a six day week is awful. Uh, I yeah. I don't recommend it to anybody, and I think producers need to stop recommending it um, or thinking that it's possible. You're mm-hmm. burning your crew. Uh, yeah, it's so not cool. fair on the crew. Yeah, as, as we as directors and the sort of that leading the ship, if you like, some of the actors. It's okay because we're powering through it, but for the rest of them who are, it, it's really not fair. It's no, it's really uh, tough. Remember what I said earlier about the day starts earlier and ends later for everybody mm-hmm. else? Well, yeah. they have to do that six days a week, you know, yeah, and exactly. and it's it's a completely different animal. And I, I honestly, uh, bec- when we were doing our full weeks, uh, our normal weeks, the crew was 
on it, you know, mm-hmm. and you could tell when the six day week started coming in that by the sixth day in that week, yeah. they were just a bit more tired. And then, of yeah, course, they only get one day to rest. And then, and then on the yep. on the Monday after that, they're just a bit that bit more tired because they didn't get to rest. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just you see it, and it's there, and it's uh, and I think it's a bad. It's not actually cost effective to do it because you end up with a lesser product. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and so I'd never recommend it to anyone unless you're filming for three weeks. Then it doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, but if yeah. we fil- we filmed for six, you know, we filmed for you six. You filmed weeks. for six. Oh, yeah. wow. We wow, had wow, to. that's a big, big shoot. You had yeah, to. Yeah, right? we had to. We, there was no way to do all the stuff we were doing because we had stunts, effects, a big set. You know, um, we have a mm-hmm. fairly large cast so, and a lot of intercutting between different scenes. Um, yeah. uh, it's uh, we had a full body burn. You know, like there's there's a lot of stuff that takes a lot of time, um, and and six weeks wasn't enough time to do that. You know, that's what I'm saying. It was right. it was it was a fairly big shoot. You know, but it wasn't big enough to do everything. Yeah, <laughs> you know. And, well, let's and, talk about let's let's talk about that because yeah. you're infected people. They look incredible. Yeah, um, but Dan Martin, just... man, Dan Martin is a genius. Dan uh, Martin, is, does. yeah, okay. Dan, yeah, right. he's he's absolutely brilliant. Uh, he the stuff he did um, for us with the budget that he had, which wasn't particularly high, uh, but just a very very clever use of the face masks and and stuff like that. And then mm. we, of course, we had to work together with uh, with our VFX department to try and uh, 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 make that. Uh, uh, make those things uh, more alive, you know, um, so they move a little bit and they react a little bit so they don't seem uh, too much like a mask, you know, but that we only had to do that every now and then, you know, yeah. most of the time, especially the, the really good stuff that was in camera, the, the mm-hmm. A masks, those yes. were all brilliant, you know, um, wow. and as I said, Dan, it's just uh, awesome. It makes a difference having someone really good at that. And I think that's any indie filmmaker out there. Don't scrimp on those bits. Don't yeah. scrimp. Like you say, do a five-day week and get a brilliant production designer and a, a brilliant person who's very good with the VFX and makeup and so, so that you can really go on camera, this looks great. You now don't have to go, uh-oh, we've got to put the lights down a bit. We shoot from further back on a longer lens. How, yeah. You know, all that this, stuff. This way you can go, well, if I need a big close-up, look at this. This looks great. So you had that, and then you also had fire and stunts. I mean, these, these are big stuff going on here, and lovely yeah. camera work as well, you know? How did you do all that sort of stuff? You plan specifically where fire's going to be because it's, it's dangerous as hell. Well, well, obviously, obviously my... Um my ba- my basic philosophy of uh, I'll move the camera with the actors can't mm-hmm. apply to things like stunts and effects and stuff like that. They need no. to know beforehand where you're going to point stuff. Um, yes. So so yeah, that had to be storyboarded, of course. Um, and uh, and I did that, of course, you know. Um, but uh, I I uh, the another big lesson uh, another big lesson uh, that I made that I learned uh, that's very different to. Um, Betsy and Leonard it's because with Betsy and Leonard it's because it was a small movie even though we had you know um, all the departments were present they were just very compact you know there was one person per department effectively that's what Mm -hmm. it was with Betsy and Leonard Um, uh, but we uh, but um, but on Ravers because it was a much bigger production um, I didn't quite realize how important uh, the shot list is as a bureaucratic device Mm. Um, uh, because it is the thing that production hangs its hat on. You know, it's the thing that says, this is what we're going to do. Everybody works to that. And if you don't have it, everybody gets to have an excuse as to why things don't work or why things aren't this and why things aren't that. You know, um, it is, it is, 
it is gospel. It is the Bible that you have to basically work with. And if you then change things as the director, you've changed the shot list. You know what I mean? Uh, yes. But every other department is covered. You know, they are all good. At, um, on Betsy and Leonard, that's exactly what we had to do, though, is that, that mm. my, 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 my blocking charts were, were, were good. Um, and it showed where the cameras were and I had my shot list and everything. But yeah. in the end, everybody simply waited for me to show them where the shots are. Yeah, I mean, they didn't read the shot list. They didn't read the blocking charts. Basically, just said, like, when it came time to film, mm-hmm. what to do the next scene, I went into the scene and they said, okay, show us where the shots are. Assistant director, everybody's present. I said, okay, we're going to do one from here, one from here, one from here, from here. And then we decide in which order we're going to do it. Uh, and sure. that's it. And that, that was basically it. Nobody gave a crap about what the exact shot list was, you know, because right. we decided right. then and there what we did. And often we had to throw out what the original idea was because we couldn't really do it that way anyway, you know. So um, I st- uh, like midway through the movie, I stopped doing all this mental preparation uh, where I wrote all these blocking charts and all these shot lists. If I was changing a lot of this stuff and showing them. Anyway, you know, um, and I had a really good idea for what I wanted this movie to be to begin with. And so I, I, I marked down the stuff that was really important for the narrative that I had to get and Mm -hmm. everything else. I said, uh, uh, shot reverse shot for this. I'll figure it out. You know, I mean, I'll find, and I'll find, and then I'll find the angle, you know, um, that's what I, what I did on Betsy and Leonard. And I can't do that on Ravers because on Ravers, everybody needs to know. And, uh, I, I basically, uh, went for the majority of the shoot without doing shot lists um, right. because that's what it was used to. And I only did shot lists for stunt sequences, effects, and blah, blah, blah. blah. That's what I did them for. Right. The rest of the time, I wasn't doing them. And that, of course, frustrated departments and closing production. Um, but mm-hmm. the, here's, the, here's the thing. Like, for example, um, in the movie, there's a, there's a scene with uh, where you meet the entire cast. It's in the bar. It's mm-hmm. right after Becky arrives. Mm-hmm. And and, and so you meet everybody that's there, including the bad guys, including some of the ravers, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. Everybody's in the scene and it's really dynamic. So there's a lot of movement, people standing around the bar, including people coming in and out. No, no, it's a very lengthy, wordy scene. It was hard to write. Um, and it was, uh, and it was hard, hard to, to hard to shoot and direct, you know, yeah. that was un, uh, it was impossible to write a shot list for this. Yeah, you know I mean, because everything I would have written would have not been applicable. Yeah, oh, yeah. because the yeah. moment I block the actors, the shot list changes. You know, yeah. um, and and sometimes in some places I didn't even have access to the space in order to write a shot list. I would have written something, mm, and I would have had to write it down. You know, what I mean, but the problem is, but then if that's the case, then everybody's readiness. Uh, they get to have an excuse of, well, the director didn't write a shot list, so we didn't know, and that's that, you know. Yeah. And and then of course, then if I didn't, if I did write a shot list, and they're preparing for that, and then I change it because, well, it's not working. It's like, well, the director changed the shot list. No, no, no. Yeah. So so it's basically everything falls back into the director, whether you do or don't. But at least everybody's bureaucratically covered with the shot list. Very and so yeah. I'm gonna have to, for whatever future productions there are, I have to write a shot list for everything just to make the uh, the uh, 
bureaucratic paradigm of what is a shoot happy you know that is my obligation to the production you know mm-hmm. it's like paying taxes you gotta yes, do it you've got you to know? do it um yeah. and um, it's amazing what we learn isn't it it is amazing we go every time we think oh and i've learned loads or okay i'm gonna be fine you go ah okay i've learned even more i'll bring that into the next one and, and the next and, one and the right. thing is that you'd you'd think you'd learn the big stuff, you know what I mean? Yeah, oh, yeah, the, 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 how to cover this and blah blah. So no, it's actually oh, so what? I can't do this because of that, that and that. I can't talk. I, I can't talk to this actor because this actor is an extra, and if I talk to them, uh, that means they are entitled to a higher wage, you know. Um, so therefore, the assistant wow. director needs to talk to them, yes. you know, um, because if I direct them, then suddenly they're entitled to being a higher paid extra, you know. Um, and so mm. I need to not do that, you know. And I, that's I didn't know that. Like I, I that uh, well, was... not, most people don't. I didn't know exactly. That. And that must like... be really difficult when you just want to go. Um, a, a lovely man over there. Can I get you to move forward? Ten, and can you give me a different reaction? I mean, thank you. Now you're directing him. Yeah, ah. I mean, th- thankfully people aren't dicks, so that didn't yeah. happen. Yeah, you know I mean, but yeah. that is the rules, you know. So um, that really surprised me, and it's a lot of these little things that just really surprised me. Um, whereas the big stuff you learn as you do, you know, mm. um, and you get to experience it more. It's far more sort of instinctive learning than it is sort of like logical, visceral learning. Um, but when it comes to these things, they just catch you off guard as this, wait, so wait, so I can't do this because of that. Um, and <laughs> I have to do it like this because of that, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. and, and that kind of stuff is, is the, again, the surprising bits are the things that sort of really stuck with me. And also because my previous experience on the micro budget production, I mean, you can, on a micro budget, budget you can do whatever you want, basically. You're, you're not obligated to anything. You're not worried about anything. You nope. do the shoot however you think you should do it, and that's it. There's no pre existing rules that state, um, union this and blah, 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 mm-hmm. that, and, you know, so and so and so and so. That's yes. not really much there. You do however you think. And so we did, and that worked fine. And then, of course, I can't necessarily translate that to something bigger where all these departments that work on hundreds of productions a year, and I'm simply just another one um mm-hmm. and that's that's yep. the next thing that you have to see it like that and especially in a town like cardiff where i'm just one other production that of many that comes through there and as much as they can enjoy themselves being there you know that you are maybe not forgotten but they are looking while you're working on yours they're also looking at the next one and 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 working on they they are doing a job and you have to respect that just as much you know I know. And that's, that's a hard thing to ac- weirdly accept at first because you're like, why aren't you concentrating fully on my dream and my passion to get this exactly. film the like, best it can be? And they go, no, no, mate, it's, it's no. It's I, a job. I'm, I'm, it's, it's, it's a job. It's a job. I, I love you and your project. Great. Good for you. Woohoo. But I, I'm, I'm doing this next week. So I've got to prepare for that. And you're like, what? Because I'm doing this for a year, mate. Not <laughs> how am I might not, not do all, movie. you know? <laughs> yeah. So it's true. We learned so much. It's amazing. It really is. Yeah, so it's, Ravers, it's, yeah, Ravers is, is, is out now. Everyone can get it. Is it around the world now? I know it's in the UK. No, now, no. Is it's, it also uh, around the world? Uh, UK only for now. Um, around the okay. world is going to be in May. Um, exact release date uh, still to be determined because uh, we were supposed to have a small cinema release in, uh, in North America. Um, but okay. that's now not happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. we need to uh, reassess as to what the exact release date will be. Uh, but yeah, it'll be... Um, uh, in May, uh, it'll be for rent on all the platforms uh, and to buy and rent on all the platforms. And then in uh, in autumn is when it'll go uh, streaming VOD. 
Amazing. It's funny because mine's the other way around. Mine's available now in the USA and Canada, the dare, and it's not available in the UK until October. So it's like, right. ah, we're promoting it and selling it and saying, come on, go see it. And you're going, yeah, but not in the UK yet. Just by the way. Yeah. So it's a weird thing. Yours is the other way around, which is great because it means you can get all your cool publicity and your friends now. Mm-hmm. And then when it goes out in the US and the rest of the world, it's well, you can use all that publicity. It's, it's a good thing. It's, it's good. Can it I ask works. you a question? Yeah. Um, how involved are you in the selling of it um, now that it's out? Like, are, are you now, okay, well, now it's not mine anymore. Uh, I, I'm just sitting here. I, I mean, I can post a couple of Facebook things to tell people to watch, you know, but how involved are you now yeah, that I'm, the film is yes, out? Yes, I'm heavily involved, mainly because I really give a shit. But, um, yeah, no, I'm fully, fully involved. I'm speaking to the distributors all the time about what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sending stuff to the cast, pictures. I'm actually editing some stuff this weekend, like mini 10-second trailers for the dare so that I can keep pushing it out and keep getting an audience. And plus, it's very useful for other territories later down the line if I've already done this stuff. But I really want people to see my movie. And I spent so long on it and people worked so hard on it that I yeah. really want to get it out. So, no, for me, I'm... I'm tweeting every night, messaging about it. I'm emailing people. Yeah, constantly. I'm constantly yeah, it's a, doing the same it. thing for me. I'm basically um, because thanks to my graphics design background, I've basically we've saved ourselves the money of hiring graphics designers to do all the ah. uh, 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 um, artwork, especially for the social media campaigns. So that's basically all me. You know, um, right. every every short trailer you see, all this stuff. There's one main trailer that we had to cut by a trailer yep. house, and mm-hmm. then uh, I basically edited all the other ones. All the other ones um, yeah, I think and, that's what we do, right? I think I, I I've not really come across apart from our big directors who've been on who will someone else will do that for them yeah but for i think all our indie sort of worlds this is what we do we go and cut them and we promote it and we talk about it because no one else is going to do that for us because we're just another film in the indie world yeah whereas if we make a splash and we contact pr companies and we contact magazines and podcasts and whatever then that's how we get known no you know what i mean and for us it's about carrying on and being being directed something else and uh, and no one's going to know you directed it unless you're saying hey i directed this guys did you like it cool book me for something else let's talk (laughs) it's true it's completely that um it's not the 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 trickiest bit really is to um because the the film was technically finished two years ago when we Mm. premiered it at fright fest and it did well at fright fest you know and but then it wasn't finished because uh we had uh, we had a couple of things that we had to amend in the sound um, that uh, right. that were problematic um, because we finished it so quickly. I mean, we finished that film at a pace that you shouldn't really finish a movie and several things about it irk me because we didn't take the time to finish it properly mm-hmm. um, because we, we basically wrapped the shoot in um, at the end of March and we premiered at the end of August. Um, wow. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. We had we had eight Tight. weeks to we had eight weeks to edit, um, and then we were compo- we were starting to compose at the, almost the exact same time um, through the music, um, and then we had uh, all the vis effects and everything happening after that, including title sequences and everything. And for Fright Fest, not everything was done. It was done just enough to get it into the festival because we literally finished. Like, uh, we'd start, we output at the DCP like 12 hours before the festival. Um, mm. it, it was, it was, it basically got that down to the wire. 
isn't it funny that I find that just it and the same with actually my Arthur and Merlin project the same we finished in November and now we've just delivered and you kind of go okay that's short it's tight but yeah yeah sometimes you just go well okay we're gonna have to this is what we have to do this is the contract we have I to mean, do this absolutely I mean granted in my case uh the finishing uh, finishing quickly for Fright Fest was my call um, but you got it, into Fright Fest, so also it's like that's a big thing. This is good yeah. publicity. This is great. You're in Fright Absolutely. Fest. Of course Absolutely. you're I mean, and, and, the, and the Fright Fest guys were really cool with us. You know, thankfully, like half the people in our on our crew were people that the Fright Fest people knew. You know, so Perfect, it's, yeah. it was it was like it was it was like when they came to set in Cardiff, they of course like recognized half the people there. Like, oh, you guys <laughs> know each other. This is great. This is um, great. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so and so they were they were very receptive to us. Uh, um, uh, coming to the festival, uh, and then of course when they watched the movie, they were they were fine with uh, with the film and were willing to put it on. In fact, they put it on at the in the massive IMAX screen, which is mental to yeah. watch. I mean, wow. it's uh, I mean aside from the fact that that screen in Leicester Square, that IMAX screen is way too big for the seats. Yes, um, it is, uh, isn't it? It's, it's really way too weird. big. Uh, it's yeah. like that makes no sense. Uh, yeah. I, like it is completely silly because there's literally. Uh, three rows where that screen works and the rest of the time it's impossible to watch. Um, <laughs> so and, true. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's, but still seeing it on a screen that size with the soundtrack as loud as mine mm. uh, was freaking amazing. You okay. know, it was, it, was, it was absolutely brilliant. I mean, and how often do you get to have a movie with uh, as much music in it as I do uh, throughout the majority of it? And it's the music you love, uh, mm. and it's music you don't get to see in movies very often. Plus, it's mu- it's music and a scene that in movies often gets mistreated so badly. Yes. People have the the rave scene in movies always looks awful. It's the worst song. All the yeah. none of the ravers are actually ravers. The They're DJ is some ex- the DJ is some extra. Yes, you know? yeah, can't actually DJ. You just can't DJ for sure. I mean, seriously, digital DJs like CD DJs and stuff have been the savior of every extra pretending to be a DJ, you know, on so screen true. since because now they don't have to actually know what they're doing, you know. <laughs> and like, um, as the reason why I insisted on having a vinyl DJ in my film, you know, I mean, right. to make sure that I show somebody actually playing records, mm-hmm. and then of course. I wanted something to happen to that person as my own little personal commentary of what happened to uh, the, the record industry. That. Yeah. Uh, and you that's know. what you, do you know what? That's what I really liked about Ravers is that you, I felt dirty and disgusting watching it. I got the stuff under the nails and I got right. that it the floor. If you fell on, it was like, Oh my God, you yeah. know, and the people. And I thought it was brilliant. And I can't wait for people to see this and give you some great um, sort of reviews. And thanks do, man. Thanks. Do, do tweet Bernard out where, speaking of which, where can people find you and follow you? Online? Um, I'm most busiest on uh, on Facebook and uh, Instagram. So Instagram is uh, Bernard Pucher UK. Um, you yeah. can find me there. I'm, I'm thanks to this whole uh, uh, lockdown business. I'm vlogging movie reviews of my own Blu-ray collection that I've ordered alphabetically. So tune Love in, it. have a have a have a have a watch, have a gander. Um, and uh, yeah, if you want me to review something else, let me know. Um, but uh, yeah, Facebook and that. I, ha- I do have a Twitter account which I do use. Uh, I don't use it as much as i do the others so if you really want to get in touch instagram is probably the best one there you go uh, ravers is available now do go check it out if you're in the uk and obviously come may we should find out and i'll give you news uh, of when ravers will be out uh, the rest of the world as well um bernard thank you so much for your time this has been brilliant chat i've really enjoyed it 
Thank you very much, man. Much appreciated. Absolute pleasure. Remember who your audience is and get out there and make your indie film. And if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well, it is your duty to send the elevator back down. Uh, whatever you're doing in isolation at the moment, whatever it is, hopefully, hopefully um, you're, you're allowed out a little bit soon um you are making your film you do your best to do that whatever it is writing whatever um and do get in touch we are here for you as well until next tuesday we will see you then take care everyone bye-bye